0: before i knew it it had gone national and then international and it was a hurricane just like you said
1: ladies and gentlemen
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What's going on, folks? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 5. This week on the show, we're going to be taking a fresh look at the infamous Stephenville, Texas, UFO sighting of January 8, 2008, with our guest, Angela Joyner. She was the reporter who broke the story in the first place and became the veritable face of this historic UFO event. Now, I know you're probably thinking that Stephenville happened a couple of years ago. Why are we really covering this event here on the show in 2010? Quite simply, the reason is because I like to put a little distance between the program and the events we discuss. I don't want to get all hot and bothered about a breaking news story and then a year later, look back and realize that we were really confused about what was going on at the time. I feel like that hindsight is really important to get the best perspective on some of these big events. And the Stephenville, Texas UFO sighting was a massive event. And I'll be honest, when the Stephenville, Texas UFO sighting took place, I was interested for a few days, and then it just became a circus. And at that point, I kind of took a couple steps back and said to myself, yikes, I don't even want to dip my toe into this pool. I'll wait till things settle down a little bit. Well, here we are two years later, and I think it's the perfect opportunity to look back at what happened that night and what happened in the days, weeks, and months subsequent to the Stephenville, Texas UFO sighting. And, of course, Angela Joyner is the perfect person to talk to about the Stephenville, Texas sighting. Because she was really the woman who put the whole thing on the map and kicked off what became a firestorm in the world of ufology and in the mainstream media. So here in this conversation, we're going to break down the events of January 8, 2008 from the very beginning. How did it all unfold? Then we're going to talk about the fallout of the UFO sighting, including the media circus which erupted over the event. Angela's really going to trace the evolution of this thing from local newspaper story to international mania. Then she's going to share some never-before-heard details on her departure from the newspaper in Stephenville. She really goes over this thing with a fine-tooth comb and puts you practically into the office of that newspaper as all this turmoil was unfolding in Stephenville. Really gripping stuff there. And as you may have learned about Angela over the last two years. Following the Stephenville event, she kind of dived headlong into the world of ufology, and that's a whole nother kettle of fish that I wanted to plumb the depths of here with Angela, because it's not too often that we get to talk to somebody who starts out as a complete neophyte, and then two years on is really neck deep in the world of ufology. So we're going to find out what she thinks of the field, how she first sort of started investigating the UFO phenomenon, who helped her out, who contacted her, who was sort of, you know, her mentors in all this, and how has her opinion changed and evolved over the last two years as she's learned more and more about the UFO phenomenon, the world of ufology, and all of the various factions that are struggling for supremacy in the world of UFO studies. At the end of the day, ultimately, it is... Really a unique opportunity to learn so much information here, not just about the Stephenville, Texas, UFO sighting, but also one researcher's journey into the field of ufology. Angela Joyner, at the heart of a ufological hurricane, not only lived to tell about it, but went on to become a fixture in the UFO community. For those of you who unfamiliar with Angela Joyner, allow me to provide you with a little background on her. Formerly a staff writer at the Stephenville Empire Tribune, Angela is known internationally for breaking the story of the January 2008 UFO sightings in Stephenville, Texas. She's appeared twice on Larry King Live and continues to do interviews across the nation. Most recently, she's appeared on Discovery Channel's Investigation X and worked closely with ABC producers on UFOs Seeing is Believing, which aired on September 16, 2008, and resulted in a special thank you credit. The MUFON Texas branch recognized her in 2008 as the organization's lead investigative reporter. She has worked closely with MUFON National Research Director Robert Powell and Glenn Schultz on the Stephenville Radar Report, which confirms that there was an unknown object in the area on that now infamous night. In 2007, Angela earned two second-place awards from the West Texas Press Association for feature writing and special coverage. In 2008, she won first place in feature writing from the same organization. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree and graduated magna cum laude from Tarleton State University in 1998 with an interdisciplinary teaching certification. She's a native of Stephenville, Texas, and a member of Delta Kappa Gamma, a professional women's organization for teachers. Her website is www.angelajoiner.com. Allow me to spell this one out for you because it's a bit tricky. As you want to go A-N-G-E-L-I-A-J-O-I-N-E-R.com. There's an I-A at the end of Angela's name, surprisingly. I kept wanting to call her Angelia, but it's Angela. But the way you spell it is A-N-G-E-L-I-A-J-O-I-N-E-R.com. Definitely want to check that out for more information on her podcast, The Joiner Report and her research into the Stephenville, Texas, UFO sighting. But you're going to get a lot of that right now here on the program as we rock and roll onward with this week's edition of BOA Audio. This interview was recorded on February 9, 2010. Angela Joyner revisits the Stephenville, Texas, UFO sighting and talks about her evolution studying the UFO phenomenon on BOA Audio Season 5. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Manal of America Audio. I'm really looking forward to this week's edition of the program. Our guest is Angela Joyner, and she is known nowadays for hosting the uh, very popular podcast series The Joyner Report. But of course, most people have heard of her in the UFO world thanks to the Stephenville case, which uh, was the massive uh, UFO sighting that happened in January 18th of 2008. And uh, as the Stephenville story burst onto the scene and became such a mainstay of uh, ufology, so too did Angela Joyner. So from an outsider's perspective, I'm really interested in hearing what she has to say about the UFO field and from someone who's been studying this thing now for like the last two years and also uh, as someone who was in the eye of the hurricane that was Stephenville mania. So we got a lot to talk about here. Angela, welcome to Been All of America Audio. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Well, thanks so much. I've been looking forward to this.
2: Well, I've been looking forward to it, too, so I think we're going to have some fun. Let's do a little bio background. Who is Angela Joyner? Tell us about, you know, what you're all about and how you ended up getting mixed up in all this uh, Stephenville stuff.
0: Well, I was working for the local newspaper in Stephenville, and um, I got a call from a fellow named Steve Allen and he was pretty excited about what he had seen and he had three other people with him and he talked to me about it and told me that uh, his friends would also go on the record so i did a little you know check up with uh some people i knew because steve was a pilot he he kept his plane at the local airport and i knew some people out there so you know i called them and they said oh he called you too we've been trying to uh, help him figure out what he saw all morning they had already been making some phone calls um to the faa and and things like that so um i decided to write the story and um before i knew it it had gone national and then international and it was a hurricane just like you said we had news trucks running uh rolling in from all over the place, and uh, within about 10 days, myself and Steve Allen and um, another witness were on uh, Larry King, and it was something, this field called ufology and the community called the UFO community was something I knew nothing about until that story happened, and Uh, Frankly, it was something I didn't have any interest in. Yeah. If I I saw something on uh, television, a show about uh, maybe Roswell or something like that, I'd watch it and think, hmm, that's pretty interesting. And I just went right on and and never really paid that much attention. But I guess it got my attention when it started involving people in my own community. And then um, I started, you know, seeing that it was a worldwide – phenomena and sightings going on all over the world all the time, and, you know, I found that was uh, interesting, and then people started asking me to speak, and I've just, I've stayed with it, because I find that it's just so intriguing, um, you know, are we being visited from other planets, you know, what is going on, is there a government cover-up, You know, I had a taste of that myself with Stephenville when um, I was trying to find out where the jets came from that uh, Steve Allen talked about chasing the object that he saw. And a series of phone calls led me to the Fort Worth Naval Air Base the Joint Reserve Base,
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: I spoke with Major Carl Lewis, and he said, well, I don't know, but I can find out for you. And he called me back and said, no, we had nothing in the air that night, not to say that they couldn't have been from some some other base in another location. And uh, he speculated on what he thought they saw, and he figured it was uh, airliners with the sun glinting off. He said that he had seen... Uh, something like that before and boy it can really fool you, that sort of thing I wrote that story and about two weeks later I'm getting uh, a phone call from a radio station and and they're going, hey um, talk to us about the Naval Air Force retracting their statement, their earlier statement, now they're saying there's there's, they had, they really did have 10 F-16s in the air. I knew nothing about it. I said, I don't know. I haven't gotten anything. I immediately, uh, went to the fax machine. I, I checked my voicemail. I looked at my emails. Um, uh, Major Carl Lewis had all of my phone numbers and, and contact information. And he had been very friendly with me and, um, talks like a regular guy and, uh, he didn't send me the press release that he only sent to um the radio station weird i thought so and um uh, a gal from channel 11 called and wanted to know what was my take on it what was going on and i said, I guess i'm the only one that, that doesn't have this press release <laughs> and uh so i started trying to contact him i couldn't get him but he uh, finally did answer when I, he had given me his cell phone earlier, and I got him on his cell phone, But his entire demeanor had changed. He was very formal. He wasn't the normal, average, joking around kind of guy, um, casual guy that I had known. When Anything I would ask him, he, he would only say, "Miss Joyner, I'm sorry, all I can say is, and he would start to read that press release. Weird. And I'm going, come on, Carl. How do you lose 10 F-16s for two weeks? What happened here? Anything, I ask him, he would reply by reading the press release. I just had the feeling that somebody was in his office or, you know, he had been given very strict instructions, you know, that this this is what you're going to put out and this is all you can say. And, um, this, I, you know, I kept trying to get something, something out of him. I never could. And, uh, of course, at that point, the story had begun to die down a little bit. But as soon as that hit, oh my gosh, there it was all over the news again. Yeah because people got pretty excited about that. Oh well, here's the Air Force doing what they've always done and you know, it's a cover up and blah blah blah.
1: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, that was uh so that kind of got the whole thing going again and um it uh was really interesting to me and uh I you know, I couldn't figure out, you know, why he you know, he had said that in the press release it was an internal communication error. Yeah. So I don't know, but you know, it takes a lot of people to get uh, ten F-16s off the ground. That's for sure. And we do have a military operating area called the Brownwood MOA just south of us, and we are used to having those jets fly overhead as they travel to that MOA. But to me, and and to you know some others around. It was unusual. We've never seen 10 out at once. You know, you might see 2 or 4 or maybe 6, but, but 10 seemed like a big number.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: We thought that was sort of strange that there were so many. I, I mean, it's true, they could have been doing some special training that night or, or something, but... Nothing really added up about exactly. that. Exactly. That's
2: exactly what I was thinking. It just doesn't add up. All right. So that's sort of how you got mixed up in all this pretty much, right? right. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Yeah. For lack of a better term, you know, like for the historical record, if you are talking to somebody who had no idea what the Stephenville thing was, give me sort of a thumbnail look at the actual event that night, January eighth, two
0: 2008. Okay. The event started with Steve Allen, like I said previously. Mm-hmm. And that first story uh, ran, and he wanted his phone number included in it. Yikes. Because he had been um, in a community called Selden with some friends, and he saw a huge object come across. Yeah. And um, it was horizontal. The lights were horizontal, and then it seemed to break apart and turn into two vertical uh, sets of lights and these two, uh, F 16s, and he wasn't sure at the time were they F 15s or 16s because, you know, they're quite similar. Yeah. And, uh, they saw it travel in the direction of Stephenville, and, uh, in a few minutes it came back. And he, it was so large, he just knew that. Other people must have seen it, and he thought somebody surely got a photo or a video. So I said, you sure you want to put your phone number in this story because you might get uh, inundated at work? He said, I'm the owner of my own business. It doesn't matter. Let's, but I, yeah, I want to do that. Yeah. Well, when that story ran, people started calling him, and people started calling me. And um I came in at my usual time about 9 o'clock. And I was getting all these phone calls about, I saw it too, and have you figured out what it was? And one of the questions that came up frequently was, is this the reason for all of the increased air traffic, the military traffic in the skies? And I'm going, well, I don't know. I'm inside, and I, I don't know. But I went to lunch at around 1130, and I saw uh, just out in the parking lot before I got in my car to uh transport helicopters. I thought, hmm. They were flying low, and I thought, I wonder if this is what everybody's talking about. Yeah. And Steve, I talked to Steve several times that morning. He was getting calls, too. We uh, exchanged some information. I um, took down some phone numbers that he had gotten. One of them was the constable in Dublin. Oh, he wow. said that that he had seen this series of lights. He had even gone in to to get his wife to get her to come and look at it she was watching something on tv it was her birthday they had just had birthday cake and all this and she said oh it's probably just a plane and uh... but his son went back out with him and his son was about eight years old at the time and he saw it too and he said whatever it was just took off just lightning fast it was just there and and it was gone and um uh, people kept talking about how huge the thing was well later on I would say that, you know, we we probably had several dozen people call. Okay. And then uh later on I got in touch with an area law enforcement officer, he and two other officers had seen something over downtown that was quite large and if you go to my website com, you can see a composite drawing of what he saw and uh it had these like what I would call prongs, with lights on top and prongs with lights on bottom. It was in a vertical um, position. The thing pivoted it up on its end and added a third light in the center. Weird. So that kind of went along with what Steve Allen had said about it being horizontal, and then it looked like it broke apart into two sets of vertical lights rather than horizontal. Yeah. This officer did not, he wants to stay anonymous because, um, he feels like that because he's called the court all the time to testify, a defense attorney would rip him to shreds yeah. and, and pretty soon he would be useless to the police department if he couldn't testify.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, so that made sense to me. He's the only person that I've used anonymously because I really don't like those anonymous, stories, you know, where, oh, I I know, and you don't know, and I can't tell you.
1: Uh-oh, well,
2: welcome to <laughs> ufology.
0: I know. It's like that all over the place, isn't it?
2: <laughs> okay, so this all happens. You're getting inundated with phone calls. You know, at what point did it become sort of like this national phenomenon within a few days?
0: Well, as soon as the Associated Press writer Angela Brown wrote about it. Yeah went international right after that it was I would say it was becoming national over the weekend and then she was um, writing about it on the on the following Monday and then it just it went worldwide it just it went everywhere
1: it
2: exploded I'm sure now since you've been in the field for the last couple of years you've seen that these cases at least uh, you know quality UFO cases they're not this Few and far between. What do you think made the Stephenville case such a phenomenon?
0: I think because there were um, so many witnesses and uh, because the witnesses were so credible. We had, you know, business owners, we had a constable who is an elected official that was willing to speak up about it. You don't find too many elected officials that will do that. Yeah and the fact that the military story went along with it of that, you know, no, we don't have anything, and then all of a sudden they had 10 F-16s.
2: Yeah, there was I think, twists and turns to it,
1: yeah.
0: hmm And, uh, you know, that kind of gave it a second win, like I said before. So um I think it was just kind of all of that, all of those characteristics put together. Then um later, um there was a radar report produced by Robert Powell, who is the National Research Director for MUFON, and Glenn Schultz, who is a retired uh, radar specialist. They put together this comprehensive report, and um, they had sent a FOIA request to the FAA for radar data from the hours of 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. on that night. Yeah. And... They received 2.8 million bits of raw data. Wow. And, yeah. And, uh, they worked on this hundreds of hours. And, um, me in the loop, and, you know, I helped them with some of the, uh, wording and stuff like that because they would, they would send something. I would go, a particular person's not going to know what this means because I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. So they would fix it. And, <laughs> uh, and um, Anyway, uh, that report ties eight of the witnesses in time and direction to an unknown in the sky that at times was traveling about 21 miles per, 2100 miles per hour and then would slow down to 500 and then to 49 miles per hour. Wow. So the thing could have fallen from the sky,
1: hmm. but it
0: didn't. And most interesting, interesting was at 8 p.m. when the data ran out. Yeah. Thing was flying into Crawford. It was 10 miles from President Bush's Crawford Ranch, flying without a beacon, and that's restricted airspace. Yeah. So, we're like, well, how does that happen after 911? How do you, well, how, did, how does something like that happen that you can fly into restricted airspace without a beacon? Now it's true that he he wasn't at the ranch. The president wasn't at the ranch, so it was a smaller airspace as when he's there. It's a larger restricted airspace. But still, it it was traveling right on. I'm sure it went right over Crawford. Or some people ask me, well, do you think it stopped and Cheney talked to him? I have no idea. Um,
2: Now, the event really was uh, January 2008. Were there follow-up events, like subsequent sightings, or was it kind of just the one big shot, like uh, that was that? Well,
0: you know, it was one big shot as far as media was concerned. We did have some um, sightings later on in the year. Um, As a matter of fact, about in October of that year, we started seeing flares dropped by S-16s. And none of us in the community ever remember seeing this before. Now, that caused some people to go, oh, my gosh, the UFO is back. I mean, honest people make honest mistakes. I always say that. Yeah. And if you've never seen flares, they are quite spectacular. I was in the house, and I was at my computer and some people had pointed out some similarities or what they thought were similarities between Phoenix lights and Stephenville lights. So I had been researching that and of course the ten o'clock thing there is said to be flares. So I had looked up video of flares. Well, I had been looking at this two or three days and my husband came running and said, You gotta get outside. I don't know what this is And I went outside, and I immediately recognized it as flares. Yeah. Well, my phone started ringing, people were saying, Oh my gosh, it's back, are you seeing this, you know? Well, I'm going, yeah, but it's flares. Except for there was one phone call, and it was my brother. And he wanted to know if I was seeing a UFO. I said, I see flares. He turns to his wife and says, Angela says it's flares. He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to get a picture. And so... Um, I called him back later that night. Well, then he told me more information, and it didn't really quite add up with flares, because what he was seeing was horizontal, and it turned up into vertical. These set of lights did. Yeah. So, uh but he's my brother, and I don't feel like I can uh, report on that. I mean, you're not uh supposed to do that. But Linda Howe called me and said, I'm hearing what's going on, and... Tell me what's going on do you have any good witnesses anybody that you can trust i said well my brother saw this and this these lights rose up into a vertical position i don't think flares would stay symmetrical and rise, she rise up like this in a vertical position she said no they wouldn't and uh she talked to him and did a report on her site mm-hmm. about that And then uh, later on, on November the 18th, I had quite a few phone calls. There were also flares that night, but there were also uh, several people that saw a solid craft. So it seemed a little strange that all of a sudden we're having all these flares dropped. And I'm talking two or three nights in a row. Yeah. We've never seen that before. And then at the same time, we have people that report a solid craft. So that almost seemed like a diversion.
2: Could be, yeah. It's very interesting, it's very strange. I feel good now, I feel like I kind of know more, obviously, about the uh, Stephenville event. Now part of the interest on my end is the the people involved and that kind of stuff, the sociological aspects. Now what did your witnesses think of this sort of uh, mania that occurred around the event, back in the, the January, you know,
1: event?
0: Well they were really surprised that it got that attention they, you know, sort of looked to me to help them out with that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, um some of them were getting, you know, phone calls. Uh, I remember Steve Allen and had called me. He said, well, BLO Riley's calling me. What do I do? And I said, well, it's up to you. You know, if you want to go be on the show, do it. If you don't, just tell him no. And uh, he did it. And, um The constable really got a lot of attention. Yeah, and at times, you know, uh, he would just about have to hang up on people because he would have people stop that he was writing a ticket to for a traffic violation, or and it got it got really bad for him to where he, you know, it interfered with his duty.
1: Oh yeah,
2: I can imagine. Yeah,
0: and um, so uh, some of the witnesses um, had their belief systems challenged. Had seen this thing that was so huge that, you know, they really didn't have a brain file that they could put it in. Some people thought it was the end of the world and they were visiting with their pastors, oh boy. Um, their preachers and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Steve Allen, two weeks into it, he looked really bad. I mean, he just looked so tired. And I remember I wrote a story and, um, the lead was Steve Allen is haggard and he really was. He, uh, I talked to his wife. His wife said he's not sleeping. He's, uh, staying on the internet all the time. He keeps looking for, for pictures of what he saw. He's trying to find if he can find something like it because we couldn't find anyone that had any video or any photos from that night. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the reasons he wanted to put his Phone number in it. And Steve was a pilot. He's familiar with what's in in there and what's not. And, um, he's one of the ones that his religious beliefs were challenged and he spent a lot of time with his pastor. So it was quite upsetting to some of them. And then some people just had a lot of fun with it. You know, they were like, well, we better put on some tinfoil hats. I remember the high school kids had a lot of fun with it here. And the science club had a big fundraiser with T-shirt sales. It was—they made like three thousand dollars in just a few days.
2: Oh wow! Now I know it's a pretty small town there. It's only like uh, fifteen thousand people. So, were well, you guys kind of swarmed too? Like you said, the media was there and everything swarmed—not just with media, but just with like UFO. You know, folks. We did have lack- a- <laughs> Let's leave it at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did have a um some visitors in town and uh you could see people stopped on the sides of the roads especially you know kind of out in the country where it's darker yeah i had some people from uh, open minds forum called me i didn't know what open minds forum was at all and then you know now i have a board there on open minds forum so I wasn't even familiar with all these uh, websites and stuff like that. Um, People in ufology began um, calling me and sending me emails. And I remember one of those people was Tim Good.
1: Oh, yeah, Tim Good's great.
0: Yeah, and uh, I kept thinking. He kept telling me, I have a book that will help you understand a lot of this and write my publisher, here's the address, get the book. But I never did it, you know, and I kind of thought, why does this guy – want me to get his book. Well, after all that happened and I left my job at the newspaper, Tim Good was at the Ozark conference in Eureka Springs and I felt like I had run into a long lost friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so, you know, he was real good to me and and uh, talked to me a lot and I met Grant Cameron there.
1: And, oh yeah, he's uh, great.
0: Grant, I, I'm very close to and um I'm working on a book with him. And we uh, were in contact all the time. So I met a lot of people at that first conference and then many more at the X conference. So it's so, been a wild, wild ride.
2: It sounds like it has been. It sounds like it. I want to stay sort of within the hurricane here of the January period. Now, I'd heard rumors that, that some of these witnesses were sort of being – you know, locked into exclusive type contracts as a journalist, did you run into that sort of thing, and and what, did it make the whole investigation more difficult for you?
0: No, I never ran into that, and I haven't heard of
1: that.
2: Really? Okay. How quickly was it into the event that you were doing these national TV appearances and everything like that, and did you feel like you were sort of um, had to speak for the pro UFO side of the whole thing?
0: No, um, I didn't feel like I had to speak for the pro-UFO side, but, you know, I did feel very confident in the witnesses that had told me their stories. I felt, um, you know, they were telling the truth, and uh, it was probably the first time I went on the CNN newsroom, my telephone was probably about six days after I wrote the first story. They had called, and Oh, uh, you know, just, I wasn't long. They just talked to me about it a little bit over the phone. And, um, then it was 10 days that I first appeared on, uh, Larry King Live and just started doing things, you know, after that. But, uh, it didn't take long for it to get huge. And, and it was surprising to all of us that it took off the way it did.
1: It sounds I didn't out.
0: expect it to be an international story. Oh, I'm or sure. Or national.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What were you thinking when all this was going on? You said you didn't expect it to go global. Were you, you know, wondering to yourself, hey, <laughs> you know, here I am, I'm a reporter. You know, why, God, would my massive big break have to be a UFO story? Was it sort of like that kind of perspective where you just like, you know, let's ride <laughs> this thing out till we see where it goes?
0: Yeah, I was kind of – I kind of wanted to ride it out and see if we could find out what was here. I was extremely curious. About what all of these people had seen and, you know, what had so profoundly affected them. I remember the Channel 11 news reporter, um, I can't remember her name now, but she was sitting across from my desk and she goes, how did you have the guts to do this story? And I said, well, what do you mean? And and she kind of shooed away the cameraman. She said, I would have not have touched a UFO story with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. And I said, well, if you had been the one that got had gotten a phone call, you might have because Steve Allen's very credible, and he's a pilot. He knows what's supposed to be there. She said, no, never, not in a million years. I would have, wouldn't have done it. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't know. I just decided it was a good story, and I thought that the readers would enjoy it because they would be reading about people that they probably knew in the community, so.
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: To me, you know, that made it a good story that people would enjoy reading about, and that's what I always tried to do, is write something that people wanted to read. Now,
2: a lot was made about your departure from the Stephenville newspaper there, the Empire Tribune, and now I know it's been a couple of years uh, since all that went down, so what exactly happened with that whole thing, and what are your thoughts on it here a couple years later?
0: Well... It was sort of strange how all that occurred. In the newspaper business, you have the editor who is over the newsroom and the reporters. Mm-hmm. And the publisher is over the editor. The publisher is the big boss. Oh, yeah. The publisher was very supportive from the beginning. The editor, not so much. They're both female. About 10 o'clock one morning, I was getting all these phone calls after the AP story broke. She came out and... uh she told me, you know, you're gonna to have to cut this out. Cut this off. Cut off the interviews. We've got to we've got to get uh the newspaper done for tomorrow. And I said, Okay. In a few minutes a publisher called me to my office. I probably haven't told this to anyone except you. So okay. you have something new. Excellent. Um she called me in her office and said, What did Sarah just say to you? That's the editor's name. And I told her and she said, No, uh, you keep doing the interviews and you uh, you do it she wouldn't say that if it were her and so right there I was sort of in the middle you yeah. know yeah and so I said okay and then I saw you know Sarah walked to her office and I'm sure she was said hey, I have told Angela to keep at it and blah 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 and so she went straight back to her office and didn't say anything to me I'm sure she wasn't too happy about that yeah so there was a little tug of war going on there for a while, and they left me out of it as long as you know I was uh, uh, doing the interviews and going on national shows. I mean, they were getting a lot of publicity. Yeah, they should. Uh, yeah, they should, they should love that. that. That was publicity they couldn't buy. You exactly. can't buy publicity like that. Mm-hmm. So I think the publisher recognized that. Later on, the editor told me that, you know, she had really been quite jealous of the attention that I got. I mean, not, I didn't have to bring it up. She brought it up. And, um, but, uh, she was happy that I got the story, but now we need to get back to the regular news, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, we can do that. And, um, uh, I thought a little bit and, you know, I'm still the media contact. I have media people calling me. I have the, Major newspaper people calling me. The TV people calling me. Yeah, you become the face of
2: this story almost.
0: Right, and I i still have witnesses looking for me to guide them that um, I—I don't know what to do. And so I go back into her office and I say, "What do I do about all these emails and phone calls? If you want me to drop this, I mean, she was typing at her computer. She said, "Ignore them. Just ignore them, and they'll go away." Well, I went back to my desk. I thought about that. I thought, you know. I cannot abandon these people, these witnesses especially, that are upset and some of them are even a little traumatized by it, and I didn't think that was the right thing to do. I went and tried to talk to her some more. She was very adamant, and um, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? So what I tried to do, because I had to have a job, right? Exactly. And what I tried to do was... Take care of that UFO business during my lunch hour or after hours. Yeah. So I would forward emails to my home from the newspaper office from my newspaper computer. And you know, if someone called me, I say, "Look, can I call you back after six or whatever time I was supposed to get off?" You know. Exactly. Well, one night I was talking in the newsroom. I was gathering up my purse, getting ready to leave. Somebody said, um, what are you going to do? Do you want to go out to dinner? I said, I'm sorry, I already have a dinner date with Robert Powell. Well, by that time, they they all knew who he was. And uh Sarah glared at me and said, why are you talking to him? I said, well, it's after hours. I'm done. and And she didn't like that, and I thought, you know, there's not really going to be anything I can do to please anybody. Yeah. And so I turned in my resignation. Well, about a week after I had turned in my resignation letter, I was called to the publisher's office as I came in that morning, and I noticed my computer was gone, my Rolodex was gone. And I'm going, what's going on? I'm looking around at everybody, and they're all looking at me. Because, you know, a newsroom is a wide open space. Yeah. And they caught, you know, Sarah was in there, the editor, and she said, come over here to the office. And, you know, they basically said that they thought I was looking for a job on their time, which I was not. The only thing I did related to that is I have a teaching degree, and I had sent a uh, email to the superintendent's office asking how would I update my what did I need to, do to update my file so I could substitute teach, and that's the only job related thing I did. Yeah, and um, took all of what about three minutes probably, and then um, they told me they had heard that I was meeting with the Dallas Morning News and then I was going to go to work there. I said I couldn't. I am meeting with the Dallas Morning News at, on, this was on my lunchtime because he wanted to do a follow-up on the story and I wasn't supposed to talk about it, you know. So somehow they had gotten that mixed up that instead of him interviewing uh, me for a follow-up story, he was interviewing me so I could get to work for the Dallas Morning News. That was very far from the truth. <laughs> and uh, it was a small newspaper so, um, it took a lot of time and attention and uh it it sort of drained the resources we had and it it just you know, it became very uncomfortable for me and you know, at the end of that little meeting they said, Give us your keys, your cell phone, here's a box, go pack up your stuff and go.
2: Oh boy. Now, during all this time you said the publisher was really supportive and that the editor was sort of the thorn in your side. Mm-hmm. Did you Have any sort of follow up discussions with the publisher, you know, after she said keep at it?
0: She was in that, she was in that, uh, uh, she's the one that called me to her office that day, and I said, you know, I'm getting, I got mixed signals from you two. I didn't know what to do. You know, you were saying go ahead with it, and the other one was saying don't. And, you know, I said, you know, this isn't any way to do business. You know, I can't have two different people with two different ideas telling me what to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, she said, yes, I was supportive, but it was time to go on and leave it. And I said, well, you never came and told me that. And it was just, you know, it was just such an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. And neither one of them had ever had an international story either. And I'm not sure they knew what to do themselves, exactly. you know.
2: Yeah, no one's putting Sarah on CNN. I mean, come on. Right. Wow. Okay, so sounds a little contentious there, but you know, you get out of it so it's it's all good, right? Yeah,
0: you know, it was really terrible at the time. You know, some people have said, "Well, if you had to do it over again, would you do it again?" Well, yes, I would. And you know, I don't like confrontation like what went on there at that newspaper, but I have learned so much and I my world got so much bigger. I really did, I don't know if there's a country that I could go to where there wouldn't be someone there to welcome me with open arms. It's just that big. And uh so, no, I wouldn't trade for the experience. You know, I write now for uh the Abilene Reporter News as a correspondent. I'm not really, like, on the payroll as a reporter where you would be salaried. It's freelancing. You get whatever yeah. you get. So, you know, it hadn't been the best in financial decisions for me, but... You know, that's the way it goes.
2: Yeah, that's what happens when you decide to chase the UFOs. I know that for a fact, so. Yeah. It's a difficult field to make a living in, but you do what you can, I guess. But you don't have any regrets yeah. in that regard that just, you know, if you'd never heard this story or anything, you know, things would kind of still be going along the same way. But in a way, it sort of, like, broke you – sounds like it broke you out of this, changed your whole paradigm on the world. So, I mean, you can't really have any regrets on that.
0: No, that's true. I can't, and uh – uh I, you know, I miss my newspaper job, but in my opinion, um, with a, many friends that I've made all over the world, um, you know, the research that goes on, and the fact that I have an interest now, and I enjoy it, you know, I think it was a pretty good trade-off.
2: Exactly, so then you leave the newspaper and then you just sort of start diving into this uFO phenomenon. It sounds like you just sort of went in both feet first, right
0: right, kind of baptism by fire, I think exactly well, that's <laughs> for sure. There's all these different
2: competing agendas in the in the world of uFO studies. what I'm interested in really is sort of just like how you as an outsider navigated your way you know through that at the beginning because i you know I only got into this like five or six years ago, so I have a similar perspective in a way, you know at first, I was excited about this and hopeful but now i'm more cynical i'm interested you know if, if there's been any sort of changes for you along the way or you know who were some of the first people that reached out to you and, and helped you or what were the some of the first books or articles or researchers that you gravitated towards you know that sort of formed the foundation of your knowledge base
0: well i would say that tim good and linda howe were the first to uh, reach out to me then uh When I would come home at night, you know, I would start looking around on the Internet, and I would read things. And I'll never forget, I ran on to the Phil Snyder story. And I watched one of his lectures, and I thought, golly, you know, he holds up his hand. Some of his fingers are gone. And he's talking about he went in this underground base, and um, an alien shot him in the chest. They threw him back in the elevator and got him up. You know, and saved him, but the rest of the people died. And I was like, Oh my God, I never heard this. Well, that his story really impressed me. And then uh, I can't remember. I think I was talking to, uh, Grant Cameron. He said, yeah, but that story has already been shown to, you know, it's not really, uh, what it seems to be because somebody added up. His time and when he said he got certain degrees and things, it had to have been 12 years old or something. I don't really remember how it went. Yeah. But from that point, I thought, "Ah, oh, I'm going to have to rely on other people to guide me through this maze of stories because exactly, yeah. you don't know what's true and what isn't. And I'm still that way a lot. Um, if I run onto something, you know, that. You know, I I don't mind asking Tim Good or Grant Cameron or whoever, you know, what's the background on this? Uh, that whole MJ-12 thing really interested me and uh, the aviary. And then, you know, this story about Rick Doty and then everybody said, oh, no, you can't believe that because Rick Doty's involved and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, okay, exactly what can you believe in this field?
2: that's the question I think everybody's still asking themselves as we go along here in this thing
0: and then you know people started talking about disinformation I'm like what is that I've never heard of disinformation so it just depends on who you talk to and uh, you know everybody kind of has their own little radar up and going on what they think is true and what they think is disinformation all that I will never forget I was talking to Leslie Kane and, uh, we were talking about this disinformation. She goes, yeah, I- I'm not really sure about the disinformation thing. She said, I really don't think they have to have disinformation because ufology does that to themselves. <laughs> and I thought, well, you really, he's right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I got really interested in the Bob Eminator story. Um, I met Bob at the Ozark conference, that first one I went to in 2008 and the Holloman Air Force Base uh, landing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's one story that really um, seems to hold up. And uh, I really like Bob. I talked to him quite a bit. He recently got me an interview with Bob Friend, uh, the former head of Project Blue Book.
2: Yeah, I saw that on your site, yeah.
0: I hope I'm going to get to interview Colonel Coleman and maybe a couple of other people. It's just been slow in coming about, but I, you know, I don't know. I, it just seems like a maze of stories and conspiracy theories. I'm really not one for conspiracy theories. There's no way to check those out. There's, it's all speculation and, and sure. Well, you know, I could say I have, uh, Contacts in Washington D.C. I don't, but I could say that, and probably quite a few people would believe me. Oh yeah, so you know, I I kind of I don't want to uh, you know I don't want to go down that path, and I know that some people have these sources that they keep secret, and that's fine. But if it's a secret source and they're telling me that, I guess it's because of my journalistic experience. Well, I know there's nothing I can do to run that down. There's nothing I can do to verify it, so I sort of take it with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah,
2: you just hope that, you know, it comes up someplace else in a verifiable way. Right. That's about all you can do, I guess, right? Right. Are you still in Stephenville, the town? Are you still living there, or have you moved on from there?
0: You know, I did leave Stephenville for the little town of Dublin after I left my job But it's only about 12 miles down the road simply because my husband had a house here and uh, it was paid for and mine wasn't. So when we, you know, when I didn't have a job, then uh, we had to make some adjustments there.
1: Yeah.
2: Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbach. Tony, more than 30 people in Stephenville, Texas say they saw a UFO
0: you believe him? Tony Kornheiser, believe him. Who do you think was up there getting froze?
2: You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
0: The Olympic flame continues to burn in Vancouver, and our curling coverage continues on Tuesday on the NBC networks. But for those who refuse to put down their brooms, you know what's coming. For the ultimate
1: connoisseur
0: of curling, it is curling after dark. Do yourself a favor. Put on a pot of coffee. And we'll see you in
1: a bit.
2: I presume you're only like 12 miles away, so I'm sure I'm sure you'd know. What in the you know ensuing two years now, what's been the reaction of the folks in Stephenville to the whole thing? I mean, are they sort of like because they're indelibly linked now forever with this UFO event, whether they like it or not? Are they? The
0: Upper Echelon people would not, they would not like to be linked to it. You know, Stephenville is the home of the professional cowboy. We've got so many professional rodeo cowboys that live in, in or around Stephenville, and that's what they promote. They've promoted that for a long time. That's the draw to the town, and they want to keep it that way. So when the story was really hot... The Chamber of Commerce uh, Board of Directors had a meeting, and they, you know, said, well, what do we do with all this publicity? And they decided to do nothing because they didn't want to become another Roswell. They wanted to remain the cowboy capital of the world, and they left it at that. You know, which the cowboys are our heritage here, and, uh, you know, I'm fine with that. Um, I think there there might have been room for, for two attractions, but, you know, they didn't feel that way, so...
2: Cowboys and aliens, you can't go wrong with that.
0: One of the T-shirts that was designed had an alien with a cowboy hat on. It was so funny.
2: I also hear it's the hometown of uh, Ty Murray and Jewel. Is that true? That's right.
1: hmm
0: Ty Murray, uh, seven-time uh, world champion, and Jewel moved here probably, I don't know, maybe six years ago. Well, have you ever met her? No, I've never met her. Um, I've seen her, and... Uh, Things like that. I've done some of that, but I've—I have a close friend that uh, knows her, and uh, then I know her hairdresser, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> now, even though the upper echelons down on the whole UFO part, I presume there's other people in town who are making some, making some bank or at least capitalizing on the on the infamy of the event, right?
0: Well, at first there, you know, um, there were a lot of t-shirt sales and things like that, but not so much now, I don't think. Um, the people that know me, you know, if I'll see them someplace or be out at the store or something, and they'll ask me, well, have you heard anything else? You know, is there have there been any more sightings or what's going on about it? And uh, so, you know, the local people... That I run into, a lot of them still have an interest. Others, you know, wish it had never happened, but those people don't really approach me. So
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's slowed down quite a bit after two years.
2: You know? Yeah, yeah. It must seem that way. It must be an interesting sort of perspective to see. The circus has left town now, in a way.
0: Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So you've been in this for a couple years, but it doesn't sound like the buzz has worn off yet for you as far as the interest and and sort of the uh, sense of wonder as far as the UFO phenomenon
1: goes.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm still interested. I still do a lot of reading, and I work a lot with Grant Cameron. He'll be here mid-April, and he's going to stay here about three months while we write a book on the presidents and UFOs, all his researches and the presidents and what they may or may not have known. And so we're writing a book on that, and I continue to talk to people. I'll be speaking in Aztec, New Mexico, the end of March. They have a fundraiser conference there for the library, and um, just I've been writing for the uh, new magazine, um, Open Mind Magazine, which has nothing to do with Open Mind Forum, it's Oh. Owned by John Rayo and it's um, Open Minds Productions Company. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I've done a few articles for the, for the, those guys. Um, the first print magazine will come out the end of March, and it'll be a bi monthly publication. So. You know, doing some things like that, and I'm still writing for that newspaper in Abilene, so just kind of – I do – I'm ready, though, to find a job that I can – you know, I have a place to get up and go every morning.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And I'm I, because and I, I'm a people person, and I really need to be around people more than I am. You know, at first, working from your home is really cool.
2: Oh, I am in the same boat. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: It, yeah, it's – uh And
2: after a while, you don't see anybody for like a week, and you're like –
0: you know uh-huh. except to go get gas
2: or something, you know. <laughs> I
0: know. It's like uh you're you become so isolated in in a relatively short period of time. For me, that's just that's just not good for me. So I would like to find um a job but you know, small towns in this economy it's kinda hard to do. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of industry here and so I don't know. I don't know what that's gonna lead to but well, the thing. future
2: is wide open. Yeah, we'll see. Now, you've been in this for a couple of years. What do you – if you, if someone were to ask you, you know, Angela, what's it all about? What do you, what do you think it is? What, what's this UFO thing? You know, what is it? Now, obviously, don't feel beholden to your answer. Do you know what I mean? Because like I said, I've been in this like six years. If you'd asked me three years ago what I thought it was all about, my answer probably would have been completely different, so – You know, (laughs) but at this point, where are you at as far as the UFO? It's still
0: still hard for me to decide. I know that there was something here on the night of January the 8th, 2008. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt about that. The radar showed it. it. People always say, well, there's no proof, there's no proof. Well, to me, the radar report is about the most solid proof I've ever seen. Yeah. And I know these people know that something was here. Does that mean it was E.T.? No, it doesn't. Could it have military experimental? Well, yes, it could. But if it was military, I keep thinking, why why would they bring it over a populated area, and why would they continue to bring it over a populated area after all that publicity? That doesn't make any sense. So I I don't know. But I do think there is something to it. I mean, the witnesses all over the world, I mean, there's a lot of – Credible people, you know, I worked quite a bit with James Fox and, um, he's the one that did the show, uh, Out of the Blue and then more recently, I, know what I Saw. Well, he has testimony from astronauts, generals, all these people. I mean, we're not talking dumb people. We're talking very intelligent, educated people that have either seen something or have some sort of knowledge that there is some sort of visitation, and it's a government cover-up. That sort of came over me when I was at the XCOM at the Saturday Night Banquet. You know, I looked around at all these people, and, you know, the people at my table were like college professors, and and then there were, you know, people with doctorates, and, you yeah. know, I'm thinking, would this many very smart people be that far out and left-held? Well, no, I don't think so.
2: Exactly, yeah. Well, we we get a bum rap in the media, the uh, people who are interested in UFOs, but there's a lot of pretty smart, qualified people who have an interest. Now, you sort of touched on something that I find interesting, too, is this that there's this dichotomy in the UFO field of people who haven't come to a conclusion, let's say, and then there are those who are just adamant that they're aliens, that we know this, that's, that – this has been established when even though we don't have any sort of like backing that of what the ufos are do you know what i mean
0: right and i'm not there yet i am not willing to go out and say i know ets are visiting here because i don't know that i've never seen one and i haven't really seen any uh proof that that's the case
2: exactly yeah
0: but but if you look at uh you know the people in the field then you got to wonder. Well, you know, and it makes, you, makes me want to find out, too. I want to know.
2: <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think I'll ever be someone who's saying, like, you know, we know this for a fact, because we just don't. We just simply we don't. do not know this at all. So I think that's part of the public relations problem of ufology in a way, where, you know, we're trying to – Sell a bill of goods to people, and some of the people are saying that, that we know this for a fact when we don't, and it just confuses the public. I think because
0: I think know. it does too, and I think most of the public, I, I just think they could care less. They they are like I was two years ago. They're busy, you know, uh, going to work, uh, getting to the grocery store, and getting the kids to soccer. the The general population doesn't even think about this.
2: Exactly, yeah. Now, obviously, you were featured on a lot of national news stuff and and had a lot of dealings with media outside of your own, obviously, outside of you being in the media. What was. Now, you told me that story about the lady who said she'd never do a UFO story. Uh huh. What was the sort of attitude, you know, from the mainstream media when they dealt with you? Were they just like, you know, this is a great story? Or did they ever, I wouldn't say hint, but sort of, uh, give any indication of how they felt about the veracity of the story or about the phenomenon?
0: No, not really. I didn't have anyone from the media that criticized me or um, anything like that. More of them were congratulating me on having an uh, international story. Um, Really, that one woman was the only one that uh, reacted that way at least the only one that talked to me about it that way Okay. so I you know I felt pretty comfortable Um the Larry King live people um, were very uh, accommodating very professional and I'm still in touch with that producer so uh, we've become friends and I really didn't have any problem in that way
2: okay we talked a little bit about sort of this dichotomy in the UFO field now There's also this sort of like sub-branch of ufology, and I know you've had some of the folks from that field on the Joiner Report, and I'm talking about the exo-political realm. What's your take on that whole aspect of ufology? Because, I mean, there's two you know camps if you will there's the sort of scientific side and then there's the political side and the political side being the exopolitical folks um, right obviously you've heard about them you've interviewed some of them you've uh, you know you were at the X conference so I'm sure you right you know well versed in what they're all about what's your perspective on that whole thing
0: well it's I you know I like Steve Bassett and he's uh, he's working hard to uh, try to bring about disclosure I don't know if the disclosure will happen. I haven't really seen any indications of that. I get disappointed, you know, when somebody is coming out and say, "Oh, you know, I don't." You probably remember back um, there was a prediction made that on November the something disclosure was going to happen. November twenty eighth. Yes. Yes, November twenty eighth. Well, I don't like things like that because I think that makes everybody look bad yeah (laughs) you know if you want to look um inept you know that's probably the best way to do it i praise steve for his efforts because you know he really works hard on it i don't know alfred weber i don't know michael salla um i've not interviewed them they really haven't interviewed me per se but i'm kind of uh up in the air about the examiner articles you know you get paid for after so many hits, you get so much money or whatever. some of those headlines seem a little sensational to me, yeah, I don't think that's a good way to go. That's just my personal opinion.
2: That's what we're here for, Angela. I'm of the same opinion as you as you across the board on all that, so don't <laughs> don't worry about it uh, well
0: i you know I wish people would you know be a little more sensible about it, but you know, they have a right to you know their opinions and what they're doing. I understand that, but uh, it just it doesn't go along with you know what I think.
2: But, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 such a difficult field because, like I said, there's so many different factions, and this might resonate with you too in, in a way. I think that there's also sort of like this competition amongst almost the researchers or something to be the one to break ultimately break it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Exactly. And so everybody tries to hoard the information they don't share.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right, right. They want to be and the one you that, you know, they want to be the <laughs> Galileo of this story. And, and
0: There's a lot of egos involved and, and how are you going to get anywhere, you know, in that way? Well, I don't know. It's that's unfortunate. That's really an unfortunate side of it, also.
1: Now, did you
2: ever run into, other than sort of the, all the issues with the newspaper, did you ever run into any harassment or, you know, sort of people trying to put you off of the story, like, you know, like the town elders or whatever, like you were saying, or, or, you know, even just people in the community or
0: something? No, not really. I, you know, I had gotten word that a city council person had contacted the newspaper. And um I assume it must have been the publisher and said, look, you know, what are you doing to the town? We want to get off of this. And that might have been when she crossed the fence and said, well, we need to leave it alone. But I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know any of that for a fact. And it was hearsay. So who knows? But, no, it, I've never had anybody be mean to me about it or, you know, upset with me. Or at least if they were, they didn't come and talk to me about it.
2: Okay. Here's an interesting sort of question that I was thinking of uh, today that maybe you could answer, although it's sort of a sociological, speculative type thing. I noticed that, you know, you've entered the field of ufology. Leslie Keane did as well, and, and Linda Moulton Howe, of course. All three female reporters who started out sort of reporting on UFOs and then got into ufology. You know, what do you make of that? Because you don't hear of too many male reporters other than George Knapp, and he's still doing mainstream news reporting in Las Vegas, so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I find it kind of interesting that three female reporters would end up uh, leaving, you know, the news business and and pursuing UFOs.
0: Right. Kyle Laverne, um, he, of course, he's a male, but uh, he's been in the news business. I just uh, interviewed him last week, and, you know, he has an interest in his writing books and that sort of thing, and uh, I think he's more or less freelancing now, too, so... uh, I guess if it piques your curiosity enough then you know it's something you want to find more more about and and I think that's probably what happened to Leslie and Linda certainly that's what that's what happened to me and I'm sure there are other writers that have written UFO stories that wrote one and then dropped it yeah but usually I think those writers probably did it in a more of a tongue in cheek manner. <laughs>
1: yeah. And,
0: and I think, you know, I did get some people saying to me in the media, now that you've reported on this and you did it in a straightforward manner, in a factual way, then I feel more comfortable about reporting about this. And if that's all the good that I did, then that's enough. You know, and I hope that that did open some doors for uh, mainstream media people to feel more comfortable about it.
2: Exactly. Okay. Now what about, not to harp on the gender thing, but whenever we have a female ufologist on the show, I like to talk about this because it is sort of a male-dominated old boy network sort of field, uh, you know, and that encompasses all of the factions and all that too, in a way. So, I mean, what's what's been your take as a woman entering this field that really is sort of lacking? It is
0: male-dominated. Yeah. Even at the conferences um you know there's women in the audience, but there's more uh men in the audience and i don't I don't really have a good explanation as to uh you know why that is, except that you know uh women have not especially women my age were not pushed into uh the field of sciences they um Uh, Really, you know, it's only been the last probably 20 years that the public schools have have started uh, pushing girls into educational fields involving science and math. That's always thought to have been a uh, subject for men. That's what they were better at. So, you know, is that the reason? I'm not sure. You know, maybe we will see. Uh, More women in ufology, you know, up and coming in a a younger age group now that um, those directions are being laid out for them more in schools.
2: Yeah. Now, when did the joiner report come about? And talk a little bit about this, because I, I, you know, I'm always excited about other programs happening. So,
1: you know, how this come about?
0: In the chat room for the X Conference 2009, you know, there is a – it was on uh, Ustream. Mm-hmm. And several of us were in the chat room uh, listening to one of the speakers. And one person that was there was D'Andrea Cameron, and we were talking back and forth. And something was said about her radio show, Eye of the Sky. Yeah. And um, I said, well, heck, we should all have our own radio shows. And, and Grant and uh, Dee piped up and said, well, you should, certainly. And, uh, Dee asked me, would that be something I would be interested in? I said, well, I guess, you know. And she got me in touch with Joe Montaldo, who's the owner of UFO Paranormal Radio Network
1: mm-hmm.
0: out of New Orleans. And it just kind of happened from that point on. And, uh, Dee's husband, David Andrew, uh, came up with the title of the show and he did the intro for me. And there I was off and running. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds good. Now, what what sort of guests do you like to look for, uh, you know, for the joint report? I took a look at your guest list. I, I found it interesting that, you know, a lot of UFO guests, but there are some other non-UFO guests mixed in there, which is refreshing and good to see.
0: Oh, yeah, I concentrate mainly on UFO guests. I, let's see, how do I look? Well, you know, you always want to get the person that hasn't done very many interviews, you know, you always like to get that exclusive, so I look in that way, Mm -hmm. you know, as an example, that was uh, Bob Friend, you know, I'm working on some more like that, and, you know, some of the bigger names that, you know, people like to hear from, I've had a lot of people ask me, please get Stanton Friedman on your show, well, he does a lot of interviews, but my gosh, people just love him, and they want to hear what he has to say, so I'm probably going to try and get him soon. I kind of go by um, what some of the listeners are telling me they want to hear or who they want to hear from, and then some of it's just, you know, my own interests.
2: That's the good thing about having a show, too, is that you can have people on that interest you. You know what I mean? I'll be at a bookstore, and if I see a book that I like, I'll usually write down the author's name, go home and contact them, and see if they want to do an interview. So yeah, that's part of the fun of having your own show. Mm Mm-hmm. What other sort of subjects outside of the UFO-type stuff have you had on the show? And I guess, like, what's been of interest to you beyond UFOs?
0: Well, I had um, Dr. Gordon. Her name's Dr. Laura Suzanne Gordon uh, on my show, oh, I guess about a month ago. And she studies near-death experiences. And I've always been interested in that because, um, you know, there's so many people that – Talk about the light and the tunnel and all of this stuff, and, and and you wonder, what is that about? I mean, and we know that people are dead and they're brought back to life with paddles or whatever. And some of their stories are so similar that you think there must be something to that because it's sort of a pattern. So um she was one. I'm not coming up with anybody else off the top of my head. Nancy Talbot. Oh, right. Nancy uh, um, does all the research in the uh, crop circle field. And she works with a gentleman from Holland that has had some really interesting experiences. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, That psychic part of of things interests me. Of course, I don't have a psychic bone in my body, so I'm really um, amazed at at people that do, that, you know, just sort of have the sixth sense about them. And Nancy was at that first Ozark conference that's coming up here again in April, and she was a speaker there, and I did meet her, but um, I didn't have time to talk to her. I was pretty swamped with people. Yeah. And uh, But one of the things I had heard, too, was, oh, did you get to see her presentation? Well, no, I didn't, because I was doing interviews on the radio and stuff. And I thought, darn, I probably should have seen that one. And so after that, I looked up her work, and that's how I got interested in Nancy.
2: Nice, nice. All right, I want to just jump back to a point you made earlier, just about how before you got into this, you really weren't interested in the subject and, and how that you think that's the case with most people. Do you think that most people should have an interest in the subject, and if so, how do we get people interested in it?
1: Hmm. You know, if I knew
0: for sure that the ETs were actually visiting here or living here among us, then I would know the answer. I would say, you betcha. we got to get people going, and we got to know for sure. People have got to know what's going on around them, and, and if the government's covering it up, then you know we have a right to know. It's our tax dollars that help them cover it up. So you know that's kind of a double-edged sword. And and sh- and how should we get them interested? Yeah. The only I think the only way that you can do it is through television. That's the only uh, medium that uh, most people are interested in. Not everybody reads newspapers. Not everybody is on the internet. But just about everybody has a television.
2: Interesting. This is the first I've heard someone say that, so I find that intriguing. So you say the best route is just through television, educate them, make them, you know, try and make it relevant to their lives or just to intrigue well, them I enough think, to, to look at
0: it? Uh, I think James Fox did a good job with I Know What I Saw. And it was his film was educational. It was compelling. The witnesses were compelling. I think more work like that would be of help, and and the nice thing is, you know, about History Channel and Discovery Channel, you know, it's it's going to show more than once. It's going to showing at, in different time zones and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's really the only way I can think of to to reach the masses is through uh, television. What do you think?
2: I thought maybe that if you did more of a just public awareness campaign across the board that that would generate television in and of itself, sort of like how they do, camp, you know, how a campaign ad will, next thing you know, it'll be on the news, and, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, they spend all that money for the campaign ad half the time, so it'll get picked up by the news. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like all those Swift Boat uh, Boat commercials that, you know, first they were commercials, and then they were a news story. So I guess you try for something like that. You know, even if it's, you know, a full-page ad in... The New York Times or something.
0: You know, when I went to the X Conference, I spoke at the National Press Club, and I was on that panel of people, and um, it was surprising to me just how empty that building felt or how it it seemed, because when I had always heard of the National Press Club, I I expected it to be this really busy, hustling, bustling place, and it really wasn't. And, um, you know, Steve Bassett is going to have the X Conference, all of it, at the National Press Club this year.
2: Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I might be attending. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to be going or not, depending on my Oh, uh, that
0: my would finances. be cool.
2: Yeah, it should be fun if I could make it. But I think uh, to, to sort of go back to what you were saying, I think um, – and I've sort of talked about this on the show a lot too, just that we need, I think we need to present the issue to people in a different sort of fashion in a way that says, hey, you know – it's been like 60 years. We still don't know what this thing is yet. Maybe it's time to give it a second look. That's actually I think what I would say should be like the slogan of ufology. Give us another well, chance. Give us a second right. look. Instead you of saying know. instead of just jumping out there and saying aliens are coming here, we want the truth now or anything else like that, like that's not going to resonate with people that we've been trying that for like 50 60 years it doesn't work. We need to just say, "Hey, We have all these sightings. It's been going on all this time in this age of terrorism and everything else, you know, and and fears about what's in the sky and stuff. We have to take a second look at this and and try and put it to bed and and try and engage the public and science and the media to to give it a second look, like a fresh start, if you will. But I don't even know if that's possible.
0: Well, I remember uh, James Fox talking about going to D.C. and knocking on congressional office doors. And, uh, trying to get something going that way. And, and basically, you know, he was told, and I think Stephen Greer did this too, was told, uh, you know, when our constituents get behind it, we'll get behind it. So, you know, what about the Obama, uh, booklet that was put together? You know, you had a website you could go to, right? You yeah. could, uh, submit, you know, your topics for what you wanted, uh, covered. Well, the, Steve Bassett, you know, he tracked a bunch of that, and the UFO topic was pretty high up there, but guess what? It didn't make it in the book that was presented to Obama. So it just seems like every corner you go around, there is some obstacle.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. And then you get into, you know, the big question of why. I mean, you just don't know why that sort of thing happens, you know? And, And I guess that's what keeps us all going to try and figure out.
0: You know, and I was real excited when the radar report was completed. I put their press packet, and I sent them to all of the people that had already been here, like Good Morning America, Bill O'Reilly, whoever. And I could not get any response. And I had to talk really hard to get it on Larry King. And that was the only mainstream media that that went out in. But, you know, when I put myself on the other side of the table, I'm going, I know what they're doing. Ah, oh, this is Stephenville. We've done that. It's old now. It's six months old. we got to go to something else. Yeah. But they were really missing the big story of, yes, it confirms there was something here. And uh, and I thought they would jump all over it. Boy, was I wrong.
2: Yeah, well, that's interesting. It did seem like after that story died out, it has been, it's kind of been all downhill since then for the UFO subject and and just the paranormal for the last, like, couple years at least. uh, We haven't had anything really positive come up in the mainstream. Now, I had a sort of theory on this whole thing, just that part of the reason why it became so big, too, was just that it all happened in the beginning of January, which seems like usually, like, the down part of the news cycle when these sort of strange stories end up becoming, like, big. What do you think of that whole idea?
1: Yeah,
0: it is sort of the downside of the news cycle. Um, I would say that's correct. Yeah, you know, there was supposed to be another Larry King uh, show this summer, and everybody was set to go, and Michael Jackson died that day. Yeah. So that show was canceled. Breaking big breaking news is always going to bump UFO, you know, Absolutely. until unless UFO is the big breaking news that day you right. know like if they people choke about them landing on the white house lawn. well if that happened that would be the breaking news that day it would get plenty of attention
2: exactly and to throw back to kind of what i was saying about the slow news period if you just look to the past um you know you had the chicago o'hare story the year before that broke in the same time period and then looking further back that whole Scott Peterson thing where he killed his wife and then um, right. the John JonBenet Ramsey story, they all mm-hmm. they all are within that two-week window from, you know, December 26th to January 10th or something like that. It seems like mm-hmm. that period of time, if they can milk a story for a couple of weeks, then they're going to jump on it because there's nothing else other than rehash, you know, year-in-review well, type stuff.
0: if you – well, year-in-review comes, I think, because <laughs> – it's so slow. Yeah. You can't uh, – during the Christmas holidays, New Year's, from Christmas to New Year's, if you are trying to track down a story, you cannot get a hold of anybody. Exactly, Nobody yeah. calls you back. They're, you know, they're out of state. They're out of the country. They're doing something for the holidays, and you're not going to get any stories during that time because you don't have anybody to talk to. They're all gone. <laughs>
2: Exactly. So if you have a glamorous missing persons case or a wacky UFO story, run with it, I guess. That seems to be the the mainstream media's perspective. I'm not talking about have, what you did. I mean, what you yeah. you're, the local news, the local news is the best place for UFO. Have you read Missing Times by Terry Hansen?
0: Um I think I did read that one.
2: Yeah. It's about the news media and the news coverage and how well, the the point from that that I'm I'm referencing is just that the local news is always the best place for UFO reports because the mainstream news doesn't pick up on them unless it's a unique situation like what we're talking.
0: About. Well, it would normally have to start at the local level and work its way up. Yes, exactly. I agree with that. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: they don't mm-hmm. they don't break any news uh, UFO news unfortunately in the, in the mainstream. So now you've been you've been teasing here. That you're working on the, uh, the Grant Cameron book that a lot of people have been looking forward to for a while. So, I uh, I know, uh, you'll have something to say about that. What about, you know, potential for the Stephenville book? Well, there's got to be a Stephenville book eventually. And, and if anyone should write it, it should be you. So, uh, is that in the works at all? And, and in general, you know, what's coming up for you here as 2010 unfolds and into the future?
0: I have been asked about a Stephenville book several times. And I did start one, but, Um, I don't know what's wrong with me. I should write that book. But when you get right down to it, it is very difficult to get a literary agent, to get a publisher. Um, you know, if I wrote it, I'm not sure I could even get an agent to look at it. Um, I've talked to a couple of people. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to work on the book with Grant, and, uh, if it... Works like we think it will, and you know, I really believe that this will be a bestseller. I mean the information is that good and it is uh you know collective of his research for ten years, so I'm just the conduit really to help him put it together from that point. you know if that goes, then um probably yes, I would do something book wise um on stephenville, but i you know I've been on so many shows and done so many things, I think everybody knows the story, so you know like i say i'll just have to see where it takes me yeah all
2: right i got one other follow up question here uh well two i guess and i'll envelop them into each other do you think there's anything more that will come out here about stevenville or we pretty much sort of um have we run it out run you know run the dish towel out as much information as we're going to get as far as you know revelations about what happened uh that night in january and and sort of to piggyback the secondary question onto that Uh, Have you ever followed up with the dude from the Air Force Base who was really terse with you after he put out the press release? You know, it's been a couple years. Maybe he's lightened up a little bit. Now that the heat's off, maybe he might have something of interest to say after
1: the fact.
0: Yeah, well, last year in 2009, we started having the flares dropped again. We were in burn ban, and it it was a bad – it was so dry here. I mean, the grass would just – crunch when you stepped on it yeah well we were having these flares drop and i'm going why are they dropping these flares we're in a burn band because um i had talked with a retired uh, pilot and he said that they do sometimes have these things called fizzlers and those are the malfunctioning flares and they may not go off until they're in the top of a tree or on the ground. Oh, jeez. And about three years before that, we had had these horrible wildfires where people were cutting fences, trying to get their cattle out, and it was just really bad. And so I did try to contact Carl Lewis at that time. And he wouldn't return my call. I tried to contact... uh the other person in the press office there, they didn't return my call. I tried for two or three days, and I thought, well, they're just not going to talk to me.
2: Yeah. So what about any further revelations? Do you think we're pretty much all done with revelations unless uh, someone else comes forward? I mean, what? Wait. You know, How many I more only, witnesses? Yeah, I mean, how I good would they
0: hope do? of really finding out what went on in Stephenville – is to find
1: someone
0: that was at the Fort Worth Naval Air Base the night of January the 8th when those 10 jets took off. If we could find somebody, maybe they're retired now, or, you know, maybe they're just ready to talk about it, then we might have some hope of finding out, you know, the true story. Other than that, I don't know what else we could do. Okay.
2: Well, Angela, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's really been an engaging conversation. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I find your perspective to be really refreshing. It's great to have someone who's not just a keen reporter and a keen journalist, but someone with an interest in the UFO field with an open mind. And it's been fun, you know, following along here, your journey into this field. Because as I said, I've only been in this for a few years myself, so we're sort of kindred spirits in that regard, and it's been enjoyable to – get your take on all this like i said i can't thank you enough i wish you the best of luck with the joiner report and i hope we can uh, stay in touch and and work together in the future
0: well thank you i've enjoyed it also and uh anytime uh that you need to call on me if you need information you feel free to do so
2: that does it for this week's edition of boa audio season five big big super huge thanks of course to angela joiner for coming on the show Check out our website angelajoiner.com. I'm gonna spell it for you once more. A-N-G-E-L-I-A-J-O-I-N-E-R dot com. Check it out. We are really behind the eight ball here this week. I am super behind on getting this episode out to people. So we're gonna askew BOA audio listener feedback. Once again, here at the end of the program this week. We'll bring it back next week, I promise. Real quick, let me give you the means to contact me. Here they are either go to BinallofAmerica.com, B I N N A L L OF America.com, and click the contact button, or just write to B O A Audio at Hotmail.com. That's the second option. And the third way to do it is to join up at the official BOA Forum, the U S of E.com, T H E U S. O-f-e.com. Any of those methods puts your correspondence into my hands for a future edition of BOA Audio Listener Feedback. Before I get into anything else, let me throw out a couple plugs here. First of all, coming at you very soon after you're listening to this, it is the BOA Audio spin off series dedicated to the TV show Lost. We call it the BOA Audio Lost Cast. I co host it with my good friend and hardcore Lost enthusiast Jeremy Vaney, and we try to bring in various folks throughout the world of esoterica and friends of ours who are Lost fans as well. This week on the Lost cast, we've got Jason Offit. You may remember him from BOA Audio Season 4. He's also the author of the critically acclaimed book, From the Shadows, which details the shadow people phenomenon. He's got a new book coming out soon as well, which we'll plug on the Lost cast. So, if you want to catch up with Jason Offitt and hear a little bit about this past week's edition of Lost, tune into this week's edition of the Lost Cast. The other thing I want to plug is that I'll be doing a little guest hosting coming up soon on Paratopia. It is co-hosted by, ironically enough, last week's Lost Cast guest, Jeff Ritzman, as well as Jeremy Vaney. Jeff's taking some time off from the program, and Jeremy put a call out to me to do some guest hosting on this week's edition of the program. I don't know exactly who the guest is just yet, but I know that I'll be on this week's edition of Paratopia, sitting in for Jeff Ritzman alongside my buddy Jeremy Vaney. So tune into that. We'll have all the linkage up at BOA for you to check out that edition of Paratopia. I think that'll do it for the plugs this week, so allow me now to thank the outstanding and esteemed Banal of America staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Rochelle Hawks, Richard Thomas, A.M. Murphy, Marla Pena, our contributing cartoonist Andy Carolin, and our webmaster Jeremy Boston. Before I plug their stuff at BOA, I want to give a hearty congratulations from the bottom of my heart to Marla Pena. She is expecting a baby, and I'm just so happy for Marla and her husband and her family. So congratulations to Marla. I will not be offended if you name your child BOA. I'll be totally cool with that. Just kidding, of course. Please do not do that at all. But congratulations, Marla. This is really great news, and I wish you the best of luck with everything. Now, let me plug the new stuff at BOA. We've got an all-new edition of Grey Matters from Leslie titled Fort Thoughts, Part 1. Talking all about Charles Fort and stuff she has picked up from her recent reading ...of a Charles Ford compendium, definitely one you want to check out at BOA. Also an all-new Disclosure from Andy Carolan, inspired by and dedicated to BOA. As those folks who have checked out the website and checked out Andy Carolan's Disclosure webcomic, he's got some wacky aliens doing wacky stuff there in the webcomic Disclosure. And this time around, there's a little bit of a Coca-Cola spill disaster for our friendly aliens in the Disclosure world... That sounds awful familiar. Yes, of course, it is an homage to the BOA Great Coca-Cola Disaster of 2010. So big thanks to Andy Carollin for that. I got a big chuckle out of this week's edition of Disclosure. And then we've got an all-new Medusa's Ladder from Rochelle Hawks, this time around, titled Star Trek and the Missing Mythos. And Rochelle looks at Star Trek. Why is it so popular and what are some of the esoteric underpinnings of the program? If you're a Star Trek buff or if you're just an esoteric enthusiast, there's definitely a lot of food for thought there in this week's edition of Medusa's Ladder from Rochelle Hawks. And finally, we wrap up the latest updates at VOA with Regan Lee's Trickster's Realm, this time around titled Meetings with Eagles. And it's all about the connection between eagles and UFOs and esoterica. It's really a mind-blowing, mind-bending edition of Regan Lee's Trickster's Realm. Kudos to all the great BOA staff for another round of awesome contributions. We've got a ton of great stuff in the pipeline coming at you this coming week as well. Lots of stuff to check out at all of America. It is really growing by the day, the week, the month, and the year, and that is primarily thanks to the outstanding BOA staff. Once again, big thanks to them, and as we say Every week here at the end of the show, if you're only listening to BOA Audio and you're not reading the columns at banalofamerica.com, you're only getting half the story, BOA, make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the part of the show where you may play an integral role in this whole process. It is the part of the program where I ask you to make a donation to Banal of America and BOA Audio. We are about halfway through with Season 5, and the bills are definitely piling up as we keep producing episodes here in our fifth season. And as usual, the vast majority of those bills are paid for by myself, and the other portion of those bills are paid for via donations from outstanding BOA Audio listeners, perhaps like you. How do you make a donation to BOA? That's simple. You go to beenallofamerica.com or the BOA Audio archive page and you click the PayPal button. No donation is too small, and all donations go towards Benal of America and BOA Audio to keep the website and the audio series up and running, commercial-free, and freely available for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. Next week on the program, we are bringing in another superstar to Banal of America Audio as we welcome titan of parapolitical research, Ken Thomas, for a jam session covering a ton of conspiracy related topics. We're gonna to hit on so many different memes, it's ridiculous. But here are some of them. The UFO phenomenon, of course, ufology, exopolitics, disclosure, 9-11, the 9-11 truth movement, JFK assassination research, Esoterica's transition from the zine era to today's internet based scene, May Brussel, Bob Dylan, and much, much more. It is really a jam session with Ken Thomas. We hit it off like gangbusters and had quite an enjoyable conversation, just bouncing around to all the different sorts of esoteric genres and getting his take on all those different fields. That's next week at all of America. It is definitely an episode you do not want to miss. And since we're talking to the hardcore BOA Audio listeners here at the end of the show, I'll give you a heads up right now. I am Kind of thinking, not positive yet, but I'm considering that next week's edition of the program, which will be episode number 15 here in season 5, will be the episode that segues us into our annual mid season break. Every year, around the middle point of the season, we take a month off to sort of recharge our batteries and catch our breath a little bit after a tumultuous series of episodes. And usually, The break comes around the 11th or 12th episode, but we've managed to stretch it out here now to 15 episodes in Season 5. But I'll be honest with you, and if you've been keeping an eye on the posting dates of BOA Audio over the last few weeks, you may have noticed I'm getting a little run down here. I'm sort of hitting the wall a little bit, and I would definitely like to stop for a moment and catch my breath. So there's a good chance next week's episode will lead us into the break, and we'll take about four weeks off and return to ride out the second half of Season 5. I'll make an official announcement for sure once I'm positive about this, but I'm leaning towards that option in a big way. So you'll know more next week, but as I said, we're talking to the hardcore listeners here at the end of the show, and I wanted to give all you folks out there the word first before anybody else. And on that note, we close the book on another edition of BOA Audio. Big, big thanks once again to Angela Joyner for coming on the show. Thank you to all the great folks who wrote in. I promise your emails will be featured once again on BOA Audio listener feedback starting next week. And most of all, I want to thank all the great BOA Audio listeners out there. You guys are the best. I thank you at the end of every show, and I mean it. You are truly the coolest audience out there. You support my hijinks. You support this program, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.